Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John D. Sperry podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. Welcome back to the John D. Sperry Podcast. Today, we're taking a look at chapters 20 and 21. As I promised before, we're going to take a look at the uh, Parade of Brides, which you get a good taste of in these two chapters, and I'll discuss with you uh, where that came from. All right, have fun listening to chapters 20 and 21, and we'll see you after. Chapter 20 Ladin zipped up the magnetic fastener to the Crumanian jacket that fit him like a surgical glove. The fastener started at his throat and ended at his knees, a straight line over thick beige fabric. The magenta trousers were not as repulsive as he had expected, though he wasn't a fan of plain front pants with no pockets. He stared for a moment in the mirror, internally tormented by many of his recent life decisions, but especially that of blotting Kimber from his memory completely. Even her name caused his stomach to turn. He knew courting and possibly marrying Gisela was the logical path to take and the right thing to do in his situation. It was just going to take some getting used to, but with Kimber out of the picture, it should be easy. Jocko came into the dressing room, examining his chronometer. It is still very early, sir. We have nearly eight hours. I thought you might like to sleep for a few hours before we go. Jocko's tone sounded uncharacteristically strained. That won't be necessary, Ladin said. I want to go now. I need the distraction. Well, I still need to prepare, Jocko said with a hint of agitation. My suit isn't back from the tailor. I haven't bathed. Ladin turned around to see Jocko holding a micromod. Is that the bidding instructions? Ladin asked. Oh, yes, I thought you might want to go over them before we... Ladin cut him off by pulling the mod from his hand. 
But I, Jocko started to say, but was met with a simple thank you as Lydon headed for the door, having received his final fitting of the suit that was anything but him. Where are you going, sir? Jocko inquired almost frantically. I'm going to the pageant, Lydon replied flatly, without turning to face his manager. But sir, I'm not yet ready. Then I'll go alone, Lydon said, and walked out. For nearly three hours, Ladin sat alone in his designated booth at the pageant, watching girl after girl walk past him on the catwalk. It was the only place he wanted to be since it was the only place in his life that didn't remind him of Kimber. Would you like another drink, Mr. Basra? The server asked, and Ladin looked up at the siren girl assigned as his personal attendant for the night. She put on a pleasant affect, but seemed slightly out of sorts being that Ladin was the only person in his booth. There was no entourage, so she had little to do but ask him the same questions over and over. No, thank you, Ladin replied with the same answer he had given since finishing his first drink. Anything to eat? The girl asked pleasantly. No, Ladin replied with the same answer he had given since his arrival. If you need anything, please feel free to call, the elegant girl finally said. Thank you, Ladin replied with the same answer he had given since the first time she had made the remark. He would leave her a generous tip, but apathy seemed to be the major theme in his life. The pageant had moved on in front of him. Girl after girl had paraded herself down the runway. The lighting had changed for each one, as it was designed to accentuate her features and skin color. Each girl was perfect in her own way. All were humanoid, with features Lydon found familiar. Most were very feminine in the human sense. As each passed by, he observed their cultural garb, their mannerisms, their cultural sense of beauty what kinds of cosmetic or surgical enhancements they might have had, their mineral accessories, and what kind of money their clothing represented. Unfortunately, it was easy to tell the girls from the poorer planets, the ones seeking a business partnership rather than a happy marriage. The current bride strutting down the catwalk, winking at potential suitors, was a mulican. She had pale green skin and held other physical desirable features in ample supply. Even Latin, in his distracted state, took notice, as her dress left little to the imagination. She was popular among the suitors. The howling and whistling was primal and proved that men were the same all over the galaxy. After the Mulican had finished her run and one lucky suitor rose to his feet with the cheers and congratulations of his entourage, Vladin diverted his attention to the screen on the table. The face of the next girl moved into position and at first, like all the others, he only took a passing glance. She would be just like all the rest, beautiful from a certain perspective, adorned with jewels and opulent clothes. He didn't care so much about who she was or what she even looked like, so much as where she was in line, how many walks she was before his own fate with Gisela. The next girl was just that, the next girl. Until her image made Ladin jolt with so much surprise that he nearly knocked his table over trying to get a closer look. He couldn't believe his eyes. The burgundy hair, the emerald green eyes, and the youthful human face could not have been mistaken, because they were the very same features at which Ladin had gazed, stared, and for which he had pined for nearly two years. It was Kimber. There was no mistake about it. He was staring at the very girl Jocko had told him was not in attendance. Frantically, Ladin pulled out the micro-mod in his pocket. Come on, he grumbled as the screen came to life. The bidding instructions were somewhere inside the mod, and he had to find them in a hurry. With a few taps, he found the instructions, and his eyes flew over the words. 
Despite the anger and disappointment he felt for his only friend in the planetary system, he was grateful for his manager's brevity. He only needed the first two instructions to get started. He would figure out the rest on the fly. Setting the mod aside, Ladin went back to the screen on the table where the image of Kimber was still twirling in three dimensions. He looked down the runway and saw a shadowy figure standing, waiting to begin her parade for bids. His heart began to beat vigorously. On the screen, he pressed a round icon labeled with the Karaminen word, Enter. Everything on the screen changed to a menu of options. He selected the option that entered him into the bidding for Kimber, and the screen changed again to an access code request. His mind froze. He couldn't remember his code, if he'd even been told it. He searched the few pockets he had in his Crumanian garb. All were empty. He looked down the catwalk again, the lights came on, and earthly music began to blare over the invisible PA system. Kimber was suddenly illuminated, and the sight of her did not disappoint. Her lips gleamed with enhancer, and deep waves in her hair bounced gently over her shoulders as she slowly moved her head from side to side, addressing the audience with a smile and a wave. Ladin was mesmerized, and his whole body tingled at the sight of what he had almost convinced himself had been a dream. What is that code? He growled under his breath as he picked up the micro-mod only to see the access code glaring up at him. Kimber had already begun her parade. He pounded the digits onto the screen, and the display exploded in a graphic animation of continually rising numbers laid over the live video feed of Kimber's walk. The right side of the screen showed colored avatars representing the bidders. Already, there were seven. Ladin assumed he was one of them. His seat was almost in the center of the runway, and she was still a good 30 meters away. Ladin examined the screen, looking for anything that would guide him in the process of bidding. He was about to refer to the micro-mod when he accidentally touched the number in the center of the screen. A dialogue opened up requesting a bid. He didn't know how much to enter. He looked at the number behind the dialogue. The current bid was in the 600 million range. Ladin quickly punched in 700 million. For a split second, his screen changed, showing his bid with an exuberantly animated yellow character smiling at him, then, almost instantly, changing into the same character announcing that he had been outbid. It was incredible how quickly the number was rising. Based on the whistles and howls from the audience, and despite her origin, Kimber seemed quite popular. It was going to take some savvy to win her. As Ladin prepared to enter a new bid, the number had jumped to almost the one billion mark. Six more bidders entered the contest. She was profoundly popular. Ladin couldn't understand who would want a girl who, though beautiful, carried with her the baggage of the most outcast planet within reach of the Union. He bid the race over a billion and was outbid in less than an eye blink. The number kept rising. He bid again and was outbid again. Kimber was only 10 meters away now. Despite the loud, familiar-sounding music and catcalling from the audience above, the click of her heels was like a song on the hard surface of the catwalk as she approached his position. Ladin's breathing increased as she came closer and closer, and the mask he wore suddenly felt like it was suffocating him. He wanted to remove it, then she would see it was him, but then so would everyone else. As she stepped in front of him, the floral essence of her perfume wafted toward him and his desire for her grew. Looking up, he hoped to make eye contact, but she was turned the other direction. Seeing her in the flesh after so much time caused an eruption of emotion inside Aladdin. He was overjoyed. He wanted to grab her and pull her into his arms and say he loved her, to carry her away, to live all his happily ever afters with her, but mostly he just wanted to see her face, her green eyes looking right at him. Just as he was about to avert his gaze back to the screen and place a new bid, she finally turned his direction and looked directly into his eyes. 
Her stunning beam froze him where he sat, and for a moment, the briefest moment, her eyebrows knit together. Lydon blinked, hoping what she saw was recognition, and he smiled, but she turned away and continued on. His hand flew to his face, fingertips touching the infernal mask that hid his true identity. Damn it! He cursed, raging at the slavery to which he had bound himself in the name of freedom. He would give it all up for her. He would tear the mask from his face and run to her. He wanted to so badly, but all he could do was stand and watch her walk away. His eyes dropped back down to the tabletop screen. The number was in the 10 billion range. He tapped determinedly on the display, entered 20 billion into the dialogue, and submitted it. His yellow avatar flashed up with congratulations, and to his surprise, the number remained. He looked up as two suitors directly across from him on the other side of the runway rose almost in unison from their separate tables to look around the banks of bidders. The bidding process was anonymous, so there was no way of knowing who had entered such a presumptuous bid. One of them, however, seemed to have figured it out. The man directly across the catwalk was glaring at Ladin. The other six or seven men in his party eventually caught on as they questioned their patron and each other. Soon, Ladin had an entire table of opposition staring at him. They were a formidable-looking group, all dressed in blacks and greys. The patron of the party was an older man, probably 40 to 45 Earth years, with a full beard of white hair and small, round, dark glasses hiding his eyes. Ladin looked at the screen. He was still the leading bidder. When he looked back up, he saw that the bidder across the way was examining his own screen. Ladin's number remained the high bid, as he kept an eye on the forbidding glares of the party across the way. As Kimber passed by the center tables, the man in the dark glasses looked directly up at Kimber, and Kimber looked directly at him. Nothing was said, barely a glance was shared, but Ladin's heart stopped when he realized why she hadn't looked his way first. She had made an arrangement already. She was supposed to be won by the man in the dark glasses. As she walked, a hush seemed to fall over the arena. The howling had stopped as the spectators became simply onlookers. The music was winding down, and the walk was almost over with Ladin the victor. He almost sighed with excitement and relief when he looked back down to his screen to see that the number had changed. 30 billion. The contender across the catwalk reclined in his seat, staring at Ladin through his dark, almost black glasses. Kimber was 10 meters from the end of her walk. Ladin entered 50 billion. He was instantly congratulated by the yellow avatar. He stared at the screen, glanced up at the competition, then back to his screen. The number didn't change. One by one, the colored icons representing bidders began to disappear. Within seconds, there were only two, red and yellow. Ladin suddenly sensed a presence standing over his shoulder. Mr. Basra, Jocko said softly. Ladin had already tuned out the music, the hundreds of people milling about, the lights. He could tune out his betrayer. The only thing he focused on was the girl walking away from him, and the man across the way. Alan, Jocko said with considerable humility. Ladin ignored him. A new set of numbers appeared on the screen in the top left corner. It was a clock, and it was counting down in seconds. 30 seconds. The large number changed. 100 billion credits. 26 seconds. How much do I have in holdings? Ladin said to Jocko without acknowledging him in any other way. Sir, please don't do this, Jocko pleaded. 20 seconds. Ladin turned around, a deep, angry glare in his eyes, a sneer on his face that Jocko couldn't see under the mask. How much? Ladin repeated viciously. Jocko quickly pulled a micromod from his pocket. 16 seconds. Ladin looked at Kimber. She was nearly to the end. 13 seconds. Jocko held the mod in front of his master. 1.23 trillion credits, sir. Ladin didn't even hesitate. He punched in a new bid and pressed submit. 
zero seconds. The screen stood locked on the competitor's previous bid. Laden's heart raced as he held his breath in the space between uncertainty and its opposite. He looked back at Jocko, who had a fearfully blank stare on his face, when suddenly the arena exploded in a burst of light and sound. The winner's chorus began to play, and everything around Laden seemed to ignite in a blast of color. The seat on which he sat, the table, the floor, everything exploded with fanfare. He looked at the screen on the table. His yellow avatar was dancing with a broad smile on its face. Almost like it had made eye contact with Laden, it stopped dancing and bowed over and over. Next to it was playback of Kimber, images of her waving toward him, three-dimensional rotating busts of her smiling at no one. But most significantly, the word congratulations appeared in translucent letters all over the screen in dozens of languages, along with the winning number, 1.01 trillion credits. Lydon blinked at what he was seeing, then glanced up at the man across the way who was on his feet and not looking at all pleased. Lydon turned back to a distressed Jocko. What do I do now? Lydon asked. Now you claim your bride, Jocko replied in a defeated tone. Chapter 21 This is very irregular, Jocko said as he trailed behind Laden's right shoulder. You came here intended for one bride and dropped your entire fortune on another. Laden didn't respond. He only walked back to the atriums where he was to finally come face to face with Kimber and claim her as his bride. Laden, please reconsider this, Jocko pleaded. The use of his master's rightful name was never a good sign for one so adherent to rules as Jocko. Lydon stopped abruptly and turned around to face his betrayer, grabbing onto Jocko's jacket lapels. I trusted you. I asked you to find her and you lied to me. Jocko nodded subtly. Yes, I did. To my everlasting shame, I abused your trust in me and for that I beg your forgiveness. But what she is tied to is not good for you, sir. Lydon stared at Jocko, looking from eye to eye. You can atone for yourself by helping me through this tonight, Laden said. Jocko nodded. I will help you, he said. Laden released his grip. Thank you, he replied as he straightened Jocko's jacket. I'll deal with Zade later. Jocko nodded. This way to the atrium, he said, steering Laden toward the proper part of the arena. As they entered, the atriums from the night before were practically unrecognizable. They were decorated more opulently with flowers, hanging lights, and bejeweled decorations. The soft, peach-colored ambiance inside Kimber's atrium was soothing as it blended with the greenery and the decor. The room was quiet, almost magically cutting out the sound of the arena. Soft, earthly music played quietly, a romantic melody. Lydon's heart began to race. Kimber was nowhere in sight. Two sirens scurried around the room, preparing it to receive Lydon, the new winning groom. "'What's going on? Where is she?' Lydon whispered over his shoulder. We are early. The preparation team is accustomed to the groom celebrating for a time with his entourage. We could have a significant wait in front of us. Laden sighed nervously. Why do these things always take so much time? It's not difficult. On the contrary, sir, it is marriage. A lifelong commitment. The bride needs time to prepare to meet her match. It's a significant moment for her. It must be perfect. Especially in this case, where the bride is won by a suitor she did not expect. Laden nodded when a new and terrifying thought occurred to him. 
And what are the chances Malik's here with her? In this case, not likely, Jocko replied. Don't forget, Haslan Malik is not welcome on Karamina for his withdrawal from the Union. In fact, Kimber even being here is a mystery. It is unlikely that she is emancipated from Earth and seeking a new home, which would be an ideal situation for you. That's a possibility? Ladin asked. Yes, Jocko replied apprehensively. As I said, it's not a likely possibility. Then why is she here? A marriage to the right person with the proper ties to the Galactic Union could mean Earth's reinsertion. Malik may be under pressure from the other Earth governments to drop the Union exclusion he instituted. But I don't have any real ties to any planets in the Union, Ladin said. That is why this meeting right now could go very, very badly. I'll create a tie, Ladin responded. Jocko scoffed. <laughs> How will you do that? I'll use the lamp. Jocko's face turned suddenly severe. You promised yourself you would never again use the... He looked around to see that no one was looking. Lamp, he finished in a cautious whisper. I don't really have a choice, do I? Ladin retorted. But even so, even with the power of the lamp, she might still reject you. It was Ladin's turn to look severe. She can do that? He reacted. Yes, and take half of your bid with her, Jocko said. What? Ladin bellowed, and Jocko quieted him as the sirens inside the atrium both stopped to look. Jocko steered him back outside the atrium. Did you not read my instructions? Jocko said with almost terrifying intensity. I told you that if your marriage arrangement wasn't made ahead of time with a good faith agreement, the bride could reject the bid and walk away with half. You mean she can choose not to take me and take half a trillion credits with her? Ladin complained in disbelief. Precisely, answered Jocko. You were... We were supposed to come here and establish that agreement. It was all in my instructions. Ladin looked into the atrium. He shook his head in denial. She'll accept me. Once she knows who I am, she'll... Ladin's thought process suddenly split, the current track breaking off and disappearing into oblivion. He looked at Jocko. She can't know who I am, Ladin said, and Jocko nodded with a knowing flatness to his expression. It could bring an end to your plan, Jocko corroborated. Ladin gripped one of the stone pillars. What do I do? he asked. You do as you have done for the past two years. You pose as Alan Basra, and you woo her, Jocko said. Ladin groaned. What have I done? I can't go back to Earth. He'll know me the second he sees me, Ladin said painfully. We shall shortly find out just how ironclad your disguise is. Ladin nodded. If she recognizes me, then he'll recognize me. Then I'm a dead man. Precisely, Jocko answered. Your Honor, Prince Basra, came a tinkling voice from inside the atrium. Ladin turned to see the glistening lips of an angelic siren addressing him. Yes, he answered automatically. Your bride is prepared for you to enter, the messenger answered in her diplomatic yet sensually sweet way. Yes, uh, thank you, Ladin replied and followed the siren into the atrium. You may be seated here. The girl said as she gestured to a small backless settee that was, at best, wide enough for two people to sit. Thank you, Ladin said as he looked up at Jocko like a lost child. The siren girl walked away and disappeared behind a curtain. Would you like me to go? Jocko asked quietly. No, Ladin blurted with wide, begging eyes. I want you here, he said. I only ask because it may be a little intrusive to the bride. Ladin bit his bottom lip under the mask. Yeah, you're probably right. Why don't you just, um... He looked around the room. Just stand behind that curtain. Try to stay hidden. Jocko looked to where the siren girl vanished. Without saying a word, he nodded once and hid himself. 
Lydon sat nervously wringing his hand. This was a mistake, he said to himself. He could feel the sweat forming at his temples and around his neck and in his hands. At once he wanted both for Kimber to know it was him and not to have any clue. The play would present itself at the right time, he hoped. A different siren girl suddenly appeared from behind a curtain in the center of the arching back wall of the atrium. Your Honor, Prince Basra, I present you your bride, Princess Kimber of Earth. The girl bowed with closed eyes and stepped aside. Lydon took a step forward toward the curtain when a man suddenly walked through whose face made him want to run. It was Kasim, Malik's head of security. He was dressed in a three-piece suit of dark charcoal gray and a green tie hanging down the front. The bulge under his left arm made it apparent that he was there as protection. Ladin breathed shallowly as Kasim approached him with a sneer that might have killed a lesser man. Who are you, Basra? Where do you come from and why did you- Kasim! came a stern, rebuking voice that caused the head of security to stop in his interrogation and step aside to reveal Kimber, her emerald eyes scintillating in the soft glow of the lights. He looked at her with a still, frightened gaze, and she glared at him with obvious perturbation. Your, uh, highness, Ladin bumbled out, then took an unsteady bow. Would she recognize him? Kasim didn't seem to. Kimber continued her glare, but returned the supplicating gesture. Would you sit down? Ladin said as he gestured a shaking hand toward the settee. Kimber approached him curiously. Ladin couldn't tell if she was upset or confused as her eyes stayed on him, examining him intensely. Who are you? she asked plainly. Lydon fumbled around in his brain for an answer to her question, but there were too many. He felt like a mecca, that he would short-circuit if he didn't answer with something. I, uh, I'm... No, Kimber interjected. I don't care who you are. Why did you outbid Balin Monrovian? What is your intention? Lydon's eyes shot wider, and he couldn't blink because he couldn't think. He didn't know what she was talking about. No, never mind that too, she said, waving a hand as if to cut him off before he could answer. Her voice was like melted butter over stale bread, revitalizingly warm and pleasant. I'm going to be brutally honest with you, Prince Basra, and I... <laughs> I don't even know why I came out here, but I must reject your offer, she said, her words finally jarring something into place in Ladin's mind. What? Why? Ladin asked. Because I made an agreement with someone else and you outbid him. My marriage to Monrovian was supposed to bring Earth back into the Union. Can you bring Earth back into the Galactic Union? She said with a hint of disdain. Ladin just stared. That's what I thought. I'm trying to help my planet, and you're just another spoiled rich kid with nothing better to do than blow your fortune on a girl you didn't even have the decency to court. Kimber turned away. I wish you luck, Prince Basra. You may keep your money, she said as she walked back toward the center curtain, Kasim on her heels. No, wait, Ladin finally said. Give me a chance. I can get you back into the Union. I really can, but you have to give me a chance, he pleaded. Kimber stopped at the curtain and looked back toward Ladin. Kasim glared skeptically. Can you really, or are you just saying that to get me to do something stupid like accept your bid? Kimber asked with disdain. No, I wouldn't do that to you. I can. I really can get you back in. You might not have ever heard of me, but I have pull that no one else in this arena could imagine. Kimber narrowed her eyes on her suitor. The look was somehow hopeful. Okay. Tell me what system, what faction, or what organization you belong to that has that kind of clout, and I'll give you a chance. Ladin bit his lip again. I can't talk about it here, but I know who you are and I know your father. How do you know my father? She asked indignantly as she took a few steps closer, obviously bothered to be talking about him. By reputation alone, 
Lydon said with his hands up, as though fending off an attack. But I want to help you. Help your planet. You just have to trust me. Kimber looked at him still with scrupulous penetration. Tell me how, right now, or I walk, she said. Lydon sighed and looked around. I can't, he replied meekly, and Kimber shook her head with a disappointed glare. That's what I thought, she said, and started to step back through the curtain. But I can, Lydon blurted. You have to take this on faith. Meet me tomorrow morning, at breakfast, at my place. I mean, my palace. I'll tell you everything you need to know, but you have to give me a chance. It's not easy to explain. Kimber eyed him again. There was a long pause as she stared. I have one day to reject your offer, which means you have one day to prove it to me, she said, then turned to walk through the curtain as the siren girl pulled it open for her. As she started to go through, she looked back at Ladin with a slightly kinder expression. Good night, Prince Basra, she said, then left the atrium. Jocko emerged from behind the curtain, a stoic expression on his face. She's coming to breakfast, Ladin said. So I heard, Jocko replied. I need to get home, Ladin added as he stood up and headed out of the atrium. So I gather, Jocko whispered under his breath and followed his master out. Once again, Ladin held a regretfully familiar datamod in his hands, almost afraid to start the necessary conversation, but finding the words easily as he contemplated what was at stake. Genie, are you there? Good evening, Ladin. What do you desire? Genie, I need an alliance of some kind, a membership in the Galactic Union. I need to be on a committee which deals with trade agreements and has serious diplomatic clout. Can you do that? Processing. Laden stared intently. Process complete. So let's just jump right into it. The Parade of Brides. Okay, the Parade of Brides was the reason the reason I used this was because I needed a way to get Ladin to be reintroduced to Kimber. And I think that's pretty obvious. Um, because in the Aladdin story, um, once he goes away with the lamp, he comes back as a prince and he tries to woo the princess without her knowing who he is. So he's in disguise and, and maybe there's a little mystique surrounding the lamp and maybe it can hide his identity and you don't see it. You know, all these, these weird theories about how she can't see through him, the sort of Clark Kent Superman idea. But I needed a way for them to meet again that wasn't back on Earth, that wasn't him re-infiltrating Earth. And there are a couple reasons I wanted to do this. One of them goes back to that whole chasing your tail thing. I did not want him to just immediately turn around after escaping Earth to go back to Earth to look for Kimber. I didn't want that to be the reason he went back. I didn't want that to be what happened, that it was just that simple, that he couldn't deal with it anymore, so he went back to Earth. I wanted them to meet, coincidentally, by happenstance. You know, the, the fates uh, uh, wound their thread around Aladdin's circumstances and brought them back together. That's what I wanted this to be. Now, the parade itself, it sounds like a slave trade. It sounds barbaric. It sounds like the worst parts of the patriarchy. And all of that was done on purpose. And I know that in, in these sort of 
politically supercharged times. Um, it's 2020 right now. So again, if you're listening to this from the future, just think back about the middle of 2020. Look back at what happened. Lots of, uh, lots of stuff going on around human rights and around how people are treated. And I wrote this book, I think I wrote this part probably around 2015. Um, and, and obviously the world was a, a different place uh, five years ago. Um, but I wanted to show that there were planets that, um, worlds that seem ideal. And, and we see this in movies, right? We see this in where it seems ideal, uh, like, like the Hunger Games, for example, in those books, the, the capital seemed ideal and it was perfect. And what was going on in the districts didn't matter to the people in the capital because they were living their best life. But underneath the surface, there is, uh, there's sort of this oppression or darkness, and Caramino, while it is a super uh, luxurious planet, um, there there are these sort of uh, dark, draconian, oppressive laws um, that they follow by to follow this sort of strict code of uh, they want to force their people to live a certain life, um, and 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 so so it's not that great a place to live on, you know, unless you are a prince and have a ton of money and have no problem following the rules. So you can imagine um, the entire galactic union must have a sense of this, uh, this patriarchy and it's bad. And so, so perhaps that is one of those things that is going to be addressed in later books. Maybe the entire galactic union needs to uh, have a revolution of some sort. Um, that's going to straighten out some of these injustices, these human rights issues. Now, it, it wasn't complete oppression. It's not complete oppression. Um, a couple of things I don't mention in here. Um, again, this was five years ago. The issues were not as much in the forefront. And if I wrote it again today, I might uh, I might change how I did this. But it doesn't really address uh, transgenderism. It doesn't really address racism. Um, it's talking about different species of aliens and no one seems to be excluded unless you're not in the union. And right now that's just earth. Um, but we don't really get into what the politics of the galactic union look like, but they are there. And, and so I wanted to hint at that, that there is a, a broader politics out there sort of running things. So the parade of brides shows that, Hey, maybe this is something, this is a tradition that needs to go away. Maybe this is something that would, that would be, you know, revel, you know, somebody could revolt against this cause an uprising, but then the parade of bride only seems to be for the most rich and exclusive in the galaxy. So is it completely voluntary? Do the regular people uh, abide by a lesser version of this? Who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Um, but that's all part of the sort of socioeconomics and, and social culture of this universe that this is in. So the Parade of Brides, barbaric slave trade for women, but she can reject it and take half of his money. And so you could see how the, the woman, um, though she may be uh, a pawn in a scheme to help her plan it out, or she could be doing it genuinely, a woman could uh, could arguably refuse numerous uh, numerous bidders and take half of their money. So there, it's, it's not without loopholes that favor the brides. So if you're reading this and you're sort of uh, on the social justice side of this thing, just know that this is just 
This is just part of the depth of this universe. And I'm not saying that it's good. I'm not saying that it should be this way. But there are things in our world that, you know, maybe we should change. Um, so so this is, this is meant to uh, possibly arouse the social justice warrior inside of you. Okay? So that's the Parade of Brides. So to address this issue of the sort of chasing your tail element, um, I really wanted to make sure that Aladdin wasn't going to just automatically jump back into the same old thing because he was love struck. But then again, I wanted him to have a bit of that, a little element of that. The thing that's driving him, it's not just a young man who really wants the girl, who is, you know, it's, it's not just puppy love. It's not just he's enamored. You have to remember that, and I mentioned this in a different podcast, that Ladin has this family-shaped hole in him. Okay, if we want to get really deep down into the psyche of Ladin, he is missing something that he almost had, that he had in his fingertips. He had a grandfather. He had family. Zade, though she's a Mecca, was family ish, but he wants, he needs somebody, he needs something in his life to fill that empty family shaped hole. And so that's, what's driving him. Okay. Uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, people like to interpret these things, but this is the author saying that that is what's driving him. Um, he wants to fill that. It's not just an infatuation with a girl, although, uh, you know, he's an 18 year old boy. Of course, that's part of it, but, uh, he, he really wants to fix himself. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, and I'll just do this really quickly, um, it's about adding characters to your story and how carefully you want to do that. Some authors don't care at all about that. Some authors, every single character is a meticulous choice and has a specific purpose. I'm like with everything else, I'm somewhere in the middle. But we have some characters that are introduced here. We have this Monrovian character who we haven't met. We've seen him across the way. He's got the dark glasses he was supposed to bid on and win. Kimber, um, if you're going to introduce a character, okay, even if it's for a short moment, make it meaningful for that moment. And I don't think I accomplish this very well in a lot of my writing. Sometimes I introduce a character and you never hear from them again. And I go back and I'm like, oh, yeah, what happened to that guy? And I wrote the thing. Um, so make sure that when you write a character, and with Monrovian, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't do this very well with him. And I, I, This could have been a totally separate subplot with this guy. Um, but I found that the word count was getting too high and the story was getting too long that I just couldn't squeeze him in there. So I needed him here as he had to be opposition. And then he has to immediately disappear. And so I struggle with that for the rest of the book. So if you think Monrovian is going to be a big deal, I hate to spoil it for you. Um, he gets brought up a few more times in the book, and that is about it. So when you write a character, I recommend make it as meaningful as possible, at least for the moment, at least in that scene or that moment. And then if you have to dispose of them, make it believable. Okay? Make it believable. That's all I have to say about that. All right, remember... You can get my books on Amazon, um, anywhere paperbacks are sold, online, and uh, check me out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at John D. Sperry, and go to audibletrial.com slash Podcast to get that free trial of Audible. It, you won't regret it, I promise. The catalog of thousands of things is unbeatable. All right, so with that, 
We will see you next week for chapters 22 and 23. Until then, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.